What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. Happy Monday. Ahead this hour on The Exchange, hyperinflation. How about hyperinflation for stocks? All-time highs for the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ while bond yields take a breather today. But it is a big week that could test the bulls with earnings, a Fed decision, and the all-important jobs report. Plus, chips, cleaning, and rental cars. Our earnings exchange has the moves, the story, and the trade today on NXP, Clorox, and Avis. They all report after the bell. And are we plunging headlong into a nightmare travel season? We have the latest on the lines and the cancellations. But first, today's record-setting markets, and I'm happy to report Dom Chu is back for that. It's so good to be back with you guys, Kel. And yes, it is good news for the bullish investor out there because we do have, as Kelly points out, Record highs for the three major indices in the U.S. The Dow Industrials get that gold star. The S&P 500, the gold star, and the Nasdaq Composite as well. A trifecta of big results there across the board. We're off our session highs, but we did hit the 36,000 mark, the 36K mark on the Dow Industrials at one point today. So, again, a very bullish mood here for the overall markets. I will say, though, we did dip into negative territory at one point intraday. So keep an eye at these record high levels. One other place to keep a close eye on is the consumer discretionary sector. Why? Because it's the best performing sector over the course of the last one month period. The reason why you're seeing that big 13% gain over there is because, in large part, a 53% gain in Tesla. Tesla is the second biggest component in the S&P 500 consumer discretionary sector after only, yes, Amazon.com. So a lot of that consumer discretionary bullishness being driven by Tesla. By the way, record high $1.1 trillion valuation still for those Tesla shares. And then one stock to keep a close eye on, also on the mobility front. Shares of Harley-Davidson up 7.5% today. And the reason why is because the U.S. and European Union have agreed to a agreement for steel tariffs and aluminum tariffs on both sides. What that does mean is many of the retaliatory tariffs put in place during the Trump era by the EU on U.S. manufacturers now start to go away. Harley-Davidson could have faced some very stiff tariffs on its products in Europe. Those shares gaining right there. But by the way, Kel, since the highs this year, we are still down roughly 30% off those levels. But keep an eye on Harley, one big stock on the move today. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom. Thank you, Dom Chu. Well, a new month and record highs for stocks and even tech is shaking off Apple's earnings disappointment last week. The sector is now up 23% this year, outperforming the major averages. And my next guest says this is still where the big money is to be made, especially names in the highest growth areas. Joining me now is Sung Cho, portfolio manager at Goldman Sachs Asset Management, and he's co-portfolio manager of the Goldman Future Tech Leaders Equity ETF, which recently launched. It's great to have you here, Sung. Welcome. One of your names is somewhat more familiar, Marvell. A couple of the others are, I, you know, one's a Hong Kong name, another D-Local. Uh, you'll have to just tell me all about these companies. Latin America, I think that is. So let's start with the more familiar name, Marvell. Huge opportunity there. What are you guys seeing at a time when there's you know, massive debate about what's going on in the chip sector right now? So Marvell is the largest position that we have in the GTEC ETF under the strong leadership of Matt Murphy, its CEO, it's executed one of the best turnarounds 
that I've seen in the 15 plus years I've been covering the sector. Uh, we, we're excited about it because it's transitioning from a value company to being one of the fastest growing semiconductors over the next five years. And the reason being is because we think they're going to be taking a lot of share inside of the cloud. And so uh, there's a change in the industry where there's going to customize silicon. And we think Marvell has all the tools and the pieces to be able to take a lot of share within the cloud. Wow. Uh, the two other names that you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the names that you weren't as familiar with, one is Waymob, which is a leading SaaS company in China. Mm -hmm. It's historically relied a lot on the WeChat platform, but privacy changes are actually allowing them to diversify their business win new customers, and we're very bullish on the forward fundamentals. This is also an industry that we think China is actually going to support, right? So I think there's a lot of fears in the market about what's going to happen to China cyclically and from right. a regulatory perspective. But software is going to be one of the areas we think they're going to be able to support. And so we're very bullish on Waymob's fundamentals. And then the, the last one is D-Local. Yep, exactly. Go ahead. And I, I want to say it because I'm going to enjoy this. This is, uh, if I'm reading notes correctly, an innovative payments company based out of Uruguay, which itself is such a great reason to have you on and talk about a company we'd never otherwise talk about. Before we get into the nitty gritty on that, though, I just want to back up for a second. When we're in the middle of this massive market kind of debate where people go, you might have bond yields rising. You know, you seem to have growth maybe in Amazon and some other core platforms slowing. You know, do you have any big picture concerns about the performance of a fund like yours over the next six to 12 months? So certainly the biggest concern right now in the marketplace is inflation and the direction of interest rates, right? And so in the short run, there's no doubt that a rise in interest rates would be a headwind to the tech sector. But over any reasonable duration, as long as fundamentals stay healthy and the rate move is not too fast or too extreme, we're not overly concerned. And I would just point you to look at the last two times we've seen big rate moves in the tech sector, right? The first one was in September of 2017 to September of 2018, and the rates moved from 2% to over 3%, but the NASDAQ was up over 25% during that period of time. The second period was just recently, August 2020 to March of 2021, when rates went from 50 basis points to over 1.8%, and the NASDAQ was up 15% plus. And so, you know, as long as fundamentals remain healthy, and we do think fundamentals will remain healthy in the tech sector over the next 12 months, uh, you know, we're not overly concerned about the rate rises. So let me ask a related question, which is, okay, if you say the fundamentals aren't a headwind, is the sort of momentum and uh, investor interest in these kinds of funds itself, you know, a warning sign? Now, there's GTEC, obviously, what you guys are doing. There's ARK-K and a raft of other uh, funds that Kathy Wood has proliferated. Just the performance of Tesla, the, the kind of capital and interest that's already there, you know, is there enough of another leg to run on? Look, I, I think the market is slowly realizing that disruption is happening all over the marketplace. And everybody wants to be on the right side of disruption. You know, benchmarks are inherently backward looking. They tell you about what's happened in the past, but they don't necessarily give you the right investments for the future. And so because of some, you know, these disruptive uh, funds are winning in the marketplace because I think there's a recognition that disruption is here to stay. Let me then circle back, and I think that's a couple of very interesting points that you've made there. So in the case of a company like Marvell, which is already up 43% year to date, what kind of upside do you still see here? You know, do you look at these with a little bit of kind of the kind of typical sell side upside case, maybe 25, 40 percent? Or do you look at these as one, two, three, five X opportunities, depending on how quickly that innovation is adopted? Yeah. So, you know, we, we're very valuation focused here at GSAM. And one of the things that we like about Marvell is that the S current earnings estimates really just don't indicate 
how strong of a position Marvell's competitive positioning is it. So uh, we think Marvell can actually earn more than $4 per share uh, in the next three years, three to four years. I'm going to give Matt a little bit more time there, but three <laughs> to four years, we think they could earn more than $4 per share and the stock's only at $68. And they could be one of the fastest growing semiconductors, as I mentioned earlier, from that point in time. So, you know, we think it can uh, potentially double even from these levels. And the market, is, you know, when it goes from a value stock to a growth stock, these types of transitions are a little bit met with skepticism, but that's also giving providing the opportunity as well. It's fascinating. I'm going to sort of cheekily ask you what Intel should do then. How does Intel get into GTEC? What do they have to do? Buy Marvell? <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be one outcome that we'd be very happy with. Uh, but I do think Intel, um, you know, I am actually going to be meeting with the CEO in a couple of days. You know, I think one of the things that Intel needs to do is actually pivot harder to the foundry strategy, right? Mm. The, the one concern right now that the market has is that the x86 market is actually in shrink, shrinking because of what I talked about before with cloud customers customizing their own silicon. And so they really need to find a new vector of growth. And one of the new vectors of growth really could be foundry. So if I were in their shoes, and I think you know the CEO agrees actually because he just raised his capex targets, I would position them to try to become a foundry and compete with TSMC. It's fascinating. No, I appreciate you fielding that one, uh, Sung. It's great to have you on today. Thanks for all the ideas and the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Sung Cho with Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Again, their ETF he's speaking about is GTEC. Shares of Lone Depot are seeing a big jump today after a solid earnings report. They're the second largest independent retail mortgage company in the U.S., and they just reported a jump in market share. Here to talk about how and where they're making inroads and whether the housing market is showing any signs of cooling, Lone Depot founder and CEO Anthony Shea joins me now in a first on CNBC interview. Welcome. What would you say about the housing market lately and that, you know, all the hubbub over what's going on at Zillow? Well, uh, the, the biggest issue is just the lack of uh, inventory, Kelly. Um, but interest rates are still historically low. Uh, the economy is strong. We're seeing uh, very, very strong signals. We're just hoping for more inventory. More inventory. So you would still say to everybody who's thinking about selling that now is still a good time to do so? Because I've heard that they're holding out for some pretty high prices. Do you think that's going to be sustainable? Well, the, the housing market, as we all know, is it's a function of affordability. So based on the strength of income and the base, based on the strength of the overall economy, as long as the housing prices is still affordable, you will continue to see it be very, very firm. Why was your loan origination volume actually down somewhat quarter over quarter? The market, because of rising interest rates, Kelly, uh, you're going to see rate and term refinances decrease. So overall, the housing market or the purchase market is still very strong. But the overall rate and term refinance market is going to start tapering off a bit. So as you, as you witness in our earnings release, we actually increase our market share quarter over quarter, year over year by 46%. So as the market is shrinking, the stronger players will take this opportunity to build in more strategy and increase market share. Yeah, and to underscore that, like you said, a year ago, you had 2.4%. You're up to 3.5% of the market. What do you mean by your difference uh, sort of footing financially or otherwise compared with some of the others? Who's losing share or who's not capitalizing on it right now? Well, the cycle really started back in 2008 uh, during the financial crisis where supply and demand curve was completely wiped out with the leading mortgage company at the time. If you recall, it was, it was countrywide. So that vacated 23% market share. So our industry has been building up ever, ever since then. Loan Depot's differentiation point is we're one of the very few that has a brand built in the last cycle. So we believe brand is important. 
Also, we are well diversified in our different origination platforms. Uh, we work directly to the consumer. We have built proprietary technology over the last 12 years with our Milo technology suite of products. So we've been working very hard on trying to improve customer service level, as well as building a trusted brand to that consumer. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with you because I think you owned a mortgage of mine once. But I, again, I think that this is still an industry that's pretty fragmented to speak to that market share picture. I, I mean, let's talk about volatility as well. Your shares are up 20 percent today, but they're still down 60 percent this year. And we've seen this pattern across a number of mortgage originators or players in this space. They're, they have pretty woeful share performance at an all-time high uh, for act, maybe activity, certainly for prices in the housing market. Why the disparity? Well, we definitely have headwinds, Kelly, because of rising interest rates. So rising interest rates creates several challenges, but opportunities. The challenges are that gain on sale or margins or earnings is going to be under pressure. But that type of pressure is going to also push a cleansing process where the weaker players will vanish. They will not be able to take the pressure over a long period of time. So the opportunity side, keep in mind that although we're number two, uh, our, our market share is only 3.5%. So there's a lot of runway for established companies to continue to develop market share. And also, barrier to entry is significant in this business. Loan Depot is one of the few companies that is at scale and prepared to launch or grow even further. So any newcomers coming in post-financial crisis of 2008 it's fairly limited. I'd be very surprised to see any more lenders that are up and coming that can create scale. That's fascinating. Anthony, thanks for joining me today to explain it all. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Anthony Shea breaking down Loan Depot's quarter. And still ahead, travel turbulence. Thousands of flights canceled over the weekend. Can the travel system handle the coming holidays? We'll explore that. Plus, we're back with another earnings edition, uh, another edition, she said, of earnings exchange. Looking at some of the names set to report after the bell today, we're talking chips, Clorox, and rental cars today. And as we head to break, here's a look at the sector heat map. We're looking at energy leading the way today with some gains in the just under 2% range, pretty evenly split between gains and losses. Tech actually down a third of 1% in the rear. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC.
Welcome back. Airline stocks just had their worst month since March 2020, when the pandemic first hit and was in full swing. And now American Airlines becomes the latest carrier dealing with mass cancellations. Phil Abo is here with those details and why this could be the new normal for travel, Phil. Uh, Kelly, it'll be the new normal, perhaps, because when you have a storm or something that causes a lot of cancellations, maybe over a one-day period or a two-day period, there's just not the staffing flexibility in order for many airlines to immediately ramp up. So you have people, maybe 10, 50, 100,000 people who may have lost their flights because they were canceled. And as a result, what happens is they find themselves struggling to get back on track. And the airline finds itself struggling to get back on track. Take a look at what we've seen just over the last couple of months. American, between Friday and Sunday, approximately 1,800 flights were canceled. We know what happened with Southwest a couple of weeks ago, about 2,000 flights. And remember, Spirit, it took them more than a week to get back on track. More than 2,800 flights were canceled. American says that it expects fewer cancellations today, and I just checked on this. They're just under 600 cancellations for today. So that's about 12% of the company's entire flight schedule. And they're adding 1,800 flight attendants today who are coming back online after being on leave. So that will give them some help there. The reason that these airline stocks are higher, despite the fact that it's tight staffing right now, the White House came out with guidance today in terms of how to enforce vaccine mandates if you are a government contractor, which almost all the airlines are. And so you've got this looming deadline of December 8th when theoretically everybody should be vaccinated if you are a government contractor. But today the White House said they're going to give the companies who are ruled contractors some leeway, some latitude for them to figure out how to enforce the rules. So that is seen as a win of sorts for the airlines that it will not be a hard and fast, hey, come midnight, you're out the door if you're not vaccinated. I think what we're going to see, Kelly, is perhaps a little bit of easing of concerns that you're going to see a lot of people who are not vaccinated, who work for an airline, leaving immediately. There will be some way for the airlines to figure out how to keep them working in some capacity. Yeah, because for Southwest, we were talking about the extent to which the vaccine sort of backfired and created the the shortages or the cancellations that they were dealing with. What would you say for American over the weekend, Phil? Was that a significant contributing factor no. as well? Or was this just no. the other issues and you've been describing? Kelly, I don't think that Southwest was vaccine related. I do think, is it possible that there are some uh, flight attendants or pilots or others at the airline who are not happy that the uh, airline said, hey, look, we're going to have to have everybody man uh, vaccinated? Yes, that's possible. Although officially, none of the unions say that they authorized a, a sick out at Southwest. And I don't think that's what happened here with American. I think what you have is a case where they're so tightly staffed that as they have been ramping up flights, they need to get these crews connected with the aircraft once you have mass cancellations and they had a lot of them late last week due to high winds at mm. dallas fort worth which is the main hub for american once that happened it's like a wave it's really hard to catch up and that's the impact that we've seen and we will likely see this for the holiday season kelly yeah. you will see if there is a bad storm somewhere it's going to be really tough for the airlines to catch up and get back on track Makes me think people should maybe try to book an extra day or give, you know, give more wiggle. Don't don't do that 50 minute layover. <laughs> no, no. And but the problem is, Kelly, if your flight gets canceled, there's no empty seats for the airline to immediately say, hey, you know what, Kelly Evans, we're going to put you and your husband and your kids on the next flight. There, there's just no seats there. So they've got to find a way to absorb all these people who had their flights canceled. Yeah, it's going to be quite a challenge, uh, not to mention the experience at the airport if there's no Starbucks open and that kind of thing. Uh, but hopefully they'll <laughs> sort things out. Phil, we appreciate it. We'll see you soon. Philip reporting on the airlines. 
Still ahead, blockchain developer platform Alchemy is announcing a new round of funding, and it's backed by some big names spanning from Wall Street media to Silicon Valley. We'll speak with its CEO about what's driving growth. Plus, a new CNBC documentary. We'll talk about it later. We dig into the meme stock phenomenon of AMC and its self-proclaimed apes. Here are some of them to explain why they're so invested in the company. I'm hoping with my attendees, I will be able to pay off my debts. I have a lot of student debt. Even if it's not the big, big numbers they're talking about, I hope that we all make a sizable profit and also make a sizable statement. It will go to the moon. And even if it doesn't, it's been a wonderful ride. I got AMC for generational wealth. You know what I'm saying? I want my kids, kids, kids to be financially stable. Why am I an ape? I'm an ape because bam, that's why. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back, everybody. We're keeping an eye on markets today. The Dow was briefly negative, but it's hanging on to a 50-point gain earlier, up 190 were the highs. Uh, the Nasdaq, the outperformer, and the S&P is barely positive right now. It's up less than one point. Here's a look at the sectors. Energy and consumer discretionary are leading. Tech is actually one of the bigger laggards. We're only talking about a decline of about a quarter percent. Digging into energy, which is up one and a half percent right now. Crude is higher after snapping a nine-week win streak. It posted an 11 percent gain in October, its best month since February. Uh, and now we're seeing it add just under 1% today, so back up to around 84. Devon, the highest level in more than three years. Marathon, it's another leader in this group today. And Transocean is higher ahead of its results after the bell. In fact, it's higher by 6.5% right now. Shares of Deere are surging after it reached a tentative six-year deal with the United Auto Workers Union about two weeks after they called a strike on Deere for the first time in 35 years. Members are set to vote tomorrow on the new contract proposal, but Deere shares are up more than 6% today. It's on pace for its best day since February, and it's up more than 3 from its pandemic low. And check out shares of Novavax surging after saying they've resolved all vaccine manufacturing issues and expect full submission of their COVID vaccine to the FDA within the next several weeks. And Vax is up just under 13%. Now to Sue Herrera for a CNBC News update. Hi, Sue. Hi, Kelly. Good to see you. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. The White House says children aged 5 to 11 can start getting their COVID shots next week. About 15 million doses of Pfizer's vaccine for young children are already being shipped. In New York City, about 9,000 municipal workers have been put on unpaid leave for refusing to comply with that city's COVID vaccine mandate. Thousands of firefighters have also called in sick in apparent protest. As of yesterday, about one-fourth of New York's firefighters have not gotten a first dose of the COVID vaccine, and one in six police officers are unvaccinated. On the news, the latest on vaccine mandates in Los Angeles and Chicago and the pushback from government workers. Tune in tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And an offer from Elon Musk. He says that he will donate $6 billion to solve global hunger, but only if the United Nations Food Agency shows exactly how that money will be spent. 
Musk's offer is in response to a request from the agency's head for billionaires to increase their donations. The U.N. saying $6 billion won't solve world hunger, but it will help prevent mass migrations and save 42 million people who are now on the brink of starvation. You are up to date, Kel. I'll send it back to you. All right, Sue. Thank you very much, Sue Herrera. Coming up, NXP Semiconductors has posted top and bottom line beats in 16 out of the past 20 reports. Can it go for 17 as the chip shortage continues? And Avis getting a handful of downgrades over the past two weeks, but with car rentals still at premium prices, will it repeat last quarter's blowout earnings? And facing tough year-over-year comps, will Clorox get wiped out in its first quarter? That's all coming up in today's earnings exchange. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for another edition of Earnings Exchange, where we give you the action, the story, and the trade on three key earnings reports after the bell. Today's lineup is NXP Semi, Clorox, and Avis. Let's kick things off with NXP. The chipmaker reporting Q3 results tonight. Analysts are expecting earnings of $272 a share on $2.8 billion in sales. Shares are up about 30% this year, and the company reported 43% sales growth last quarter as remote work boosted the chip sector, but management has these supply issues as a headwind, it says, will last into 2022. Let's bring in Josh Lipton for the story here and Delano Sapporo. He's founder of New Street Advisors and a CMC contributor, and he'll give us the trade. Josh, the story first. We've talked about this. Is, you know, is there overshipment already in some parts of semis like auto they might be exposed to? So NXP is interesting. So heading into this print, Kelly, as you noted, it's up about 30% so far this year. It's about 10% off its August high. I actually checked in with Bernstein, Stacy Rasgon. He knows the name. In terms of the big trends and themes Stacy's looking for in this quarter, one, he wants to know about just how executives are thinking through the sustainability of demand in their order patterns and specifically any color and commentary we might get about what they see in that auto supply chain. And remember, of course, that's this company's bread and butter. represents about 50% roughly of revenue. Also, of course, those broader capacity constraints we talk about with these chip makers. How are those executives thinking about those bottlenecks and what do they see in the quarters ahead? And it's not just auto, it's also mobile. Uh, remember, NXP is an Apple supplier. Stacey Rasgon estimates Apple probably represents around mid to high single digit percentage of revenue here, Kelly. Delano, what would you do with the stock? Kelly, I think the investors that have been holding the stock have, have had quite a pretty good ride here so far. As you mentioned, up 30% year to date. I would continue holding because as mentioned by Josh, you know, that big, big thing that the investors are going to be looking for is the automotive and how that that area of their business grew uh, in quarter three. And if that can be sustained as we look at some of the supply chain issues, some of the inflationary pressures, that's kind of a big thing that I'm looking for um, in this stock. I think you also look at the mobile business as well. What's the growth rate on the mobile business chip sector? Um, and I think one upside for the companies, they do do have diversification of revenue, even though um, you know Apple's and some of the, one of their bigger end users. They do have some diversification. They have over 25,000 um, customers, and so I think that's also a good positive thing. But if you also look at it, they're trading at 55 times price to earnings, so wow. that might be a downside risk as investors look at: Do I want to get into the stock right now when it's trading so the high valuation is a little bit high right now, Kelly? Yeah, and Josh, it was Stacy who first drew my attention, at least, to the fact that in some areas of semis, which you know we're all talking about shortages, but are there areas like auto? like PCs where they're overshipping. And yes, companies are hoarding right now, 
So is that just going to keep the whole sector at a permanently higher plateau or is that going to have to correct? I mean, that's what we were talking. The big question is, are they heading into a lumber kind of situation or not? Well, I think the problem is, Kelly. So, you know, uh, what Stacy pointed out to me, we're chatting today about this, is that it's kind of been a challenging earning season for semi investors because you're kind of getting some mixed messages. As Stacy pointed out, Texas Instruments reports and kind of calls a top in terms of customer order patterns. But then you look at on semiconductor, they just reported, right? They reported, obviously, investors are very happy. That's stock is soaring today. So a lot of mixed messages we're getting. Of course, we'll get another one today with NXP. Yeah, really looking forward to it. All right, Josh, thank you very much, our Josh Lipton. Let's move along to Clorox because uh, speaking of kind of the lumbering, well, here, the analysts are expecting a sharp decrease in year-over-year sales as the home disinfecting boom appears to be over. Clorox shares are down 20% this year after a monster 2020. They get a bulk of their revenue from cleaning products, but going for full disinfection at home doesn't have the same appeal as it did last year. Sarah Eisen is here with a preview, Sarah, of what we should expect from mm-hmm. this company. I mean, you, at least you can say I would imagine expectations are pretty low. They are certainly low. They got crushed after last quarter, which was a huge disappointment for Clorox. And the stock is down about 12% just since that August reporting. Staples overall are flat in that time, and the S&P 500 is up. Here's the problem for Clorox. It's really supply and demand. After we all got vaccinated, the, the, the demand for all of those disinfecting wipes and bleaches just fell off a cliff at the time when Clorox was really ramping up its production and capacity to meet the needs of people who were going out and buying this stuff during the pandemic. That's problem A. Problem B is that the supply chain has been rough and all the costs, the raw materials from resin to pulp to the chemicals to the inputs for bleach have just gone up in price. And as a result, Clorox, we're expecting margins around 36.5%. I talked to uh, Andrea Teixeira, she's, a, she's an analyst at J.P. Morgan, Kelly. She says that's the lowest margin for Clorox since the 1990s, Wow! which gives you a sense of how much pressure they're facing on the supply chain. And there is a risk, a small risk, that they could lower that, that guidance even further on margins. So wow. they got bailed out during the pandemic by the surge in demand for everything from trash bags. They make glad to the cleaning products, but that obviously is tough to compete with right now. And so demand has really fallen off. And Delano, I know this is another stock you don't own. What would make this a more attractive business for you? Just a lower share price? Or if they talk about maybe uh, passing along price or trying to raise margins that way? I mean, what Sarah cited is a pretty troubling stat. Yeah, it is pretty troubling stats, and they have a lot of headwinds uh, going forward, and that's still to be figured out. I think as you mentioned on the flip side, what could possibly bring investors back into the stock is one, you know, there is still a little bit of demand in some of their products and, and some of their they have a strong brand in a lot of areas when you talk about cleaning, grilling, and their bags and wraps. I think when you're looking at it, there's also pricing power potentially too with that strong brand and with you know demand in some of the areas of the staples being still there, they could have pricing power and they have you know announced some pricing increase to hopefully combat some of the margins that, as Sarah mentioned, are being compressed into some levels that we haven't seen for them in a couple of decades. So those are kind of the areas. Also, investors might be there for a dividend play and just kind of waiting for the, uh, getting that annual sure. income there. But just in general, I, I just am not in the stock and I wouldn't be rushing to buy right now. And still at a 29 forward PE, so not exactly cheap uh, by any stretch. Sarah, we appreciate it. We'll let you go. And you guys will have full coverage of this coming up. Uh, we'll see you in just about 90 minutes time. Sarah Eisen covering Clorox this afternoon. And finally, let's talk some Avis budget. Analysts there are expecting about $6.52 a share tonight on $2.8 billion in sales. The car rental 
company is up 360% this year and coming off its best quarter in history. This all goes back to rental car prices. Travel demand bouncing back. Their sales tripled in the second quarter. Uh, prices are sky high in part because inventory has been uh, limited. Phil Lebeau is back, Phil, because a couple interesting angles here. Number one, they sold cars last year they probably shouldn't have. Now they're low on capacity. Number two, we saw right. them getting downgraded after the Hertz Tesla partnership. Uh, so that was interesting glimpse into maybe some future competitive challenges. Well, they do have some future competitive challenges, but overall, you mentioned all of the things that are working in their favor. You've got more people traveling. Corporate travel is up. They've got a tight inventory in terms of vehicles. They've got better revenue because they've got the pricing power right now. And that's likely to continue into the first half of next year. The problem is this. When you look at that chart, and, and this is just a little bit, go to a one-year chart if we can, guys. You go to a one-year chart, this sets up perfectly for a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of situation where people will sit there and say, boy, we've heard this all before. This is so good. This is really a really nice run. Time to sell this stock. So that's why when you talk with analysts, and I've looked at some of the analyst notes today on uh, Avis budget, and most people have said, do not be surprised if you see a bit of a pullback after the numbers come out today. Yeah, they're up fivefold, Delano, over the past year. Obviously, that was a year that saw Hertz go bankrupt and then reemerge as a public company. I know you're not that excited. You know, I'm trying to get Delano excited here today, and I know Avis doesn't really do it for you. Would Hertz, I mean, with all the moves that they've been making lately? Yeah, you know, obviously in this rental area, there's just been a lot of demand. Have you seen, you know, the supply side on the chip automotive side for actually buying cars has been, you know, kind of hampered things. I do think, you know, a a Avis and, you know, obviously is in a strong position, Hertz in a strong position. But, you know, if we shift back to Avis, obviously it's been an unreal run um, for the for the stock. And that's, a, you know, obviously been impressive. Profits doubled uh, last quarter. And, and that's really obviously something that people said, there were analysts were saying it was kind of the best quarter they've seen for the company in history. And if with that, even profit it's doubling. They're still trading at 67 times, times PE. So I, I wish I was in the stock, and that yeah. you know I think that you know, investors have been in it. They, they've had a great you know run here, and I think. As was Phil mentioned, there might be a pullback. Last time we saw earnings, you know, after earnings, the immediate reaction was around a 16% drop in wow. the stock. And I think that might be an opportunity for investors that still like it long uh, to get in at a better better valuation, better price. So you never you never know. There could be a drop in there. There's, there's been some short interest increase as well. But I, I, honestly, the, but the, the company's been doing incredibly well. If you look at the stock price, right. it's just been, you know, kind of a crazy run. Well, I see a Dunder Mifflin hat behind you, but this is more of a Curb Your uh, Enthusiasm edition of Earnings <laughs> Exchange today. Delano, thank you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Delano Sapporo joining me. Phil Abode, thank you as well. A very busy news day uh, here between autos, planes, and all the rest of it. Up next, everything from Bitcoin to NFTs to video games run on blockchain technology. We're going to talk to the CEO of a company that acts as a middleman between those developers and the blockchain about how they're helping to future-proof businesses. We'll dig into that next. Welcome back. Blockchain developer platform Alchemy has seen exponential growth just over the past six months, and that's in part to the explosion of NFTs. This platform acts as a middleman between the blockchain and developers to create things like apps, NFTs, or video games, and drawing comparisons to the likes of Amazon Web Services. Alchemy recently completed a $250 million Series C fundraising round, which values them around $3.5 billion. Joining me now is Kate Rooney with Alchemy's co-founder and CEO, Nikhil Viswanathan. Kate, kick things off for us. Of course. Thanks so much, Kelly. Nikhil, great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. 
Of course, of course. And Kelly talked about some of the other applications. People hear blockchain a lot of times. They think about Bitcoin, but blockchain has really moved beyond finance. Some are calling this Web 3.0 in some instances. What are you seeing being built on this technology and where are you seeing the most growth right now? Absolutely. So we see a lot of growth because Alchemy is the developer platform powering the space. What we're seeing now is an explosion of different industries, music, real estate, finance, and real applications moving in and being used. For example, Adobe, TikTok, um, these types of companies are all building real applications on the blockchain. Got an Alchemy so far has really cornered the market here with NFTs. What's stopping you know, an Amazon from coming in and you've made the, the comparison to AWS. Why wouldn't Amazon just build their own version of this? And why wouldn't a big tech company come in and try to steal market share here? We're, what we're seeing is a lot of big companies are trying to move in. It's a very complex technology and it's taken us years to build. And we've really focused on providing a great developer experience. So we've been able to dominate the market share. Nikhil, it's Kelly. I just wanted to ask you about this headline from last week. There was a crypto CryptoPunk NFT that was sold for $530 million, sort of to itself. And it started all of this sort of discussion about how trustworthy these transactions are. Are they really representing true value that's rising in the NFT space? Or is it somehow all just smoke and mirrors? What can you tell us about that and about the activity that you see happening? That's a great question. What I would really liken it to is 1999. You saw a lot of companies like WebVanPets.com that didn't survive and weren't maybe real use cases at the time. But the real key interesting insight here is that the technology of the internet was really useful. And I think what we'll see is a similar thing in blockchain and NFTs in particular. You see a lot of projects which may not be around, a lot of maybe people trading to themselves. But the core use case of NFT and ownership is powering the future of the, the Web3. Got it. Nikhil, I want to ask you about DeFi. SEC Chairman Gary Gensler has said that it's essentially a misnomer to say that some of these applications are actually decentralized. Does Alchemy have to do any sort of background checks to make sure that you guys aren't powering applications that might be violating securities laws? And are you worried about some of the reputational risk if the SEC does clamp down on DeFi? That's a great question. What we are is effectively like an platform that is agnostic to a use case. So when you look at Amazon Web Services, they power DoorDash and Uber and all these different companies. It, very similarly, we don't actually deal with the finances. So what we do is just provide an open platform that anybody can build on. Got it. And I, I also want to ask you about the metaverse. We've had Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook moving in. A lot of your partners are already working on certain aspects of the metaverse. What do you think? Is it a good thing to have Facebook involved here? I think you know Facebook is one of the largest and most uh, influential companies in terms of consumer products. And as we move towards the Web3 and the metaverse, I think they will be very helpful in laying the groundwork for this new technology. Got it, Nikhil. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, great conversation. We look forward to hearing more about Alchemy. Kelly, I'll send it back to you. Yeah, and that wasn't exactly a no about that Facebook question, but it wasn't exactly a yes uh, either. <laughs> Kate and Nick Hill, thank you both very much for your time today talking NFTs. Coming up, shares of AMC have surged more than 1,400% over the past year as Reddit retail traders flood into the once beaten down name. In a new documentary, CNBC talks to some of those Redditors about why they're sticking with it. How the apes cracked Wall Street is next.
Welcome back. Shares of AMC Entertainment, the more than century-old movie theater chain, have been on a wild ride this year after teetering on the brink of bankruptcy in 2020. Its market cap now sits at more than $18 billion. And that, of course, is thanks in part to a group of more than 4 million retail investors who now own 80% of the company. Melissa Lee's been following the story and spoke with one of the most well-known influencers in the Ape Army. I think what attracts people to AMC is the unity behind the trade, right? It brought people together to appreciate that you can come together and set aside your differences for something that you believe in. And in this case, it's fighting against a corrupt market, uh, a market that wasn't built to be fair for every single party involved. Uh, I think that's what AMC stands for, you know, speaking out and, and uh, making noise because any great change that comes in the world over the last decades and hundreds of years didn't come quietly. It came with noise. It came with blood. I think that was the biggest wake up call from all of this, Melissa, mm -hmm. is that there was a statement being made here. It wasn't just some, oh, we're all stuck in the pandemic. Let's have some fun. No, I mean, it goes way beyond it. And I'm not saying every single ape out there is is powered by this you know, fight for social equality, but a lot of them are, and that's a recurring theme out there, that the system is rigged somehow in favor of the institutions, that this goes all the way back to not, not just Occupy Wall Street, the financial crisis. They saw their parents get decimated in the stock market. Uh, they listened to retail brokers, you know, into stocks. They lost a lot of money, lost their houses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they saw Occupy Wall Street, and this is sort of the latest um, you know, ex exhibition of this populist fervor. It has been a very successful one. I think everybody for the first January run-up thought, yeah, this will last a week or so, maybe right. a couple of days. And it's been nine months now and GameStop is still higher. What happens if the prices eventually drop? Because one by one, maybe people sell or something happens. I mean, I've I've heard people warn, you know, just wait, when this all blows up, then people are going to be more furious at the system than ever before. You know, that kind of thing. I'm just curious about the impression you get on that topic and talking to all these people. There is no belief that this is going to go to zero again. I mean, the fact that AMC has raised this much cash and has that cushion at this point, it's not a teetering on the bank of Brinkup bankruptcy, excuse me, anymore. I mean, it's, it's well beyond that. So the idea that it's going to go to zero and that badly you know, that's probably not necessarily on the table unless something really goes awry. But for these people, it's much more than that. For a lot of them, it's it's the fact that Gary Gensler is now saying payment for order flow, a ban on it is on the table, um, that he's looking into dark pools. These are things that had not been in the public conversation concerning market structure prior to GameStop, prior to AMC at all. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden it's the focus of the chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. That is something. I think it also feels there's something satisfying about the customer being able to influence the operations of a company mm -hmm. instead of the, you know, for so many years too, how, how many times a PE-backed firm does this, loads up company with debt, ruins its operations, you know, the terrible customers, whatever the issue is, it feels like now there's an opportunity for a critical mass of the actual person engaged in the experience being able to influence the direction of a company. I mean, and we've seen it. Adam Aaron in this documentary gave us an exclusive interview, a very, very lengthy interview, talking about how he's really in tune now to his shareholder base, 80% retailer. He's listening to the things that they want to do because those are his customers, those are his shareholders. And there are a lot of things that AMC is looking into, whether it be streaming live content like sports events, um, a, a partnership with GameStop, accepting crypto. All of these things came from the retail community. Right. And that's all part of AMC's effort to move beyond movies, because movies, as we all know, that may not be the end-all, be-all mm -hmm. for this movie chain. He should stream this documentary, because... <laughs> 
I think by Fast Money, it's going to have about half a million views. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) It's great stuff. Thank you so much for coming on to tell us a little bit about it. The entire Apes documentary you can see anytime by heading to the CNBC channel over on YouTube. Still ahead, muni bonds. They are seeing outflows and negative returns lately after posting a record start this year. What's got investors heading for the exits? We'll tell you about the D.C. changes that could be looming next. Welcome back, everybody. Muni bonds are coming off three negative straight months for the first time since 2016, as investors are a little wary of the news out of Washington. My next guest says the key thing for muni investors to watch is the inclusion of that 15 percent minimum corporate tax rate in the latest packages. Joining me now is Michael Zizas, head of U.S. public policy research at Morgan Stanley. Michael, great to have you back. Why is that tax rate so relevant? Well, it's important because if you get banks and insurance companies, which are about 24% of the muni market, if their muni holdings start to become partially taxable in some way, which in theory could happen here with this book tax, which uh, we think probably would, unless it's specified by Congress to not include municipal income, then what you have is a market where the individual investor really becomes, becomes the primary and almost only investor interested immunities at this level. That lack of diversity in the market isn't particularly helpful. It it makes the market less structurally sound. So it's a situation where it could be a problem, even though muni credit health by and large is very, very strong right now. Well, I just heard that, you know, there could be muni apes. Look what they've done for AMC. Maybe individual investor shareholder base isn't that bad. But one more time, connect the dots for me. So you're saying a 15% minimum corporate tax means banks and insurance companies may sell muni bond portfolios because they don't want to pay tax on the profits? So right now, if you're a bank or insurance company, uh, if you own a muni bond, you're being shielded from basically your effective tax rate. But the muni income counts towards your total income. And so if you end up not paying enough tax such that you fall under this new minimum tax, the income you're earning from munis therefore becomes partially taxable. So that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to sell your, your bank portfolio, your muni bank portfolio, but you might not want to add any more munis at current levels, which are pricing relatively rich to taxable bonds, because you're not enjoying that tax benefit anymore. And that would mean that the flow of the market, the demand flow of the market, would be largely based on individual investors. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never would have connected those dots, so I appreciate you pointing this out. Let me just ask, if they have to sell for basically not... Fundamentally economic, fundamentally economic reason. In other words, they have to sell because they don't want to pay taxes. Does that create a dislocation that individual investors should buy because they wouldn't otherwise get that yield opportunity yeah. or, or something like that? Well, so, so it creates a vulnerability um, in the sense that you're taking one sort of solid demand base uh, and, and you're weakening it. That vulnerability probably expresses itself over time in the market becoming more volatile because it's more concentrated in the individual investor. And when you see, for example, outflow cycles, which is when individual investors are pulling money out of mutual funds, it creates volatility, which has nothing to do with credit quality. So the short answer to your question is that volatility and that excess spread, yes, that does become an opportunity for any investor, really, but probably the individual investor right. who's willing to own the asset despite the volatility. And, well, and you're saying it also kind of undermine the performance, maybe, that, or the, the sort of steadiness that they might be looking for, depending. Yeah. Really interesting. Michael, right. we appreciate you joining us today to explain it. Well, obviously, I'll be watching to see what happens next with those bills. And that does it for The Exchange, everybody. Thank you for your tuning in. 
You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.